Well, please open up to Matthew 7. If you've been coming here for a while, you, you should probably open up. Just your Bible automatically falls open to the Sermon on the Mount because we've been here for a while. But we're wrapping up. We've got two more sermons after this one to finish Matthew 7 and this wonderful Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivered. As I've said many times over the course of this study, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' manifesto. It's his picture of what the world is supposed to look like, what his followers are supposed to act like, what, what the world would be like if we all obeyed him. And he says in this sermon that if we would do that, if his followers would truly function as salt and light, following him, we would change the world. And we've covered all the teachings so far, all the teaching about how we're supposed to live, and now we get to the conclusion in chapter 7. And as Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount, his conclusion is, it's honest. I was going to say refreshingly honest. I don't know if that's the right word. It's, it's bracingly honest. It's challengingly honest. You see, we're used to people shading the truth when they try to persuade us of something. A classic example would be the dishonest used car salesman who paints the car up, looks really nice, and does all these tricks and things so that you think that this is a really good car just because he wants to persuade you to buy the car and drive it off the lot, and then, you know, it's your problem. Or, of course, uh, in our never-ending election cycle, we're used to dishonest politicians promising anything and everything to whoever they're talking to just to persuade you to vote for them. Okay, we're used to this. Even when it comes to religion, we're used to people being dishonest in order to persuade you to follow their particular religion. You know, people will tell you just enough of the good stuff to get you to convert and save the freaky stuff for later when you're thoroughly immersed. Okay? And Jesus could have done that. He could have done that. After all, he's trying to get followers here. He's not just giving the Sermon on the Mount. He's not just talking to hear himself talk. He's trying to convince people to follow him. So he could have you know, smoothed over the rough edges. He could have been a little less than honest to try to get people to get on the bus. And then, once they're there, once they're hooked, then give us the hard stuff. You know, he could have said, hey, just follow me. It's going to be easy. It's going to be fun. And if you sign up today, I'll give you a free toaster. That's not what he did. He doesn't try to manipulate us with dishonesty. Instead, he gives us an honest assessment of Christianity. Jesus is loving enough to be honest with us. So as he wraps up his sermon, he gives us these two verses, and just two verses today. He gives us two verses where he says, here's what it means to follow me. No sugarcoating, no manipulation, no dishonesty, just the truth. So here we are in Matthew Chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, as Jesus gives us an honest look at Christianity. Matthew seven thirteen, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let me read that again. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. When you look at Jesus' sober, honest assessment of Christianity, you see four things here. 
And there are the four things I want to explore this morning as honestly as we can. What we see is that if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to understand that it's difficult to become a Christian. The Christian life itself is restricting. Being a Christian leads to life, but only few people are actually Christians. Let's look at these in order. First, it's difficult to become a Christian. This is the first challenging and honest truth that Jesus gives. It's difficult. Just to start the Christian life is a hard thing to do. You see that in our verses um, in the way that Jesus describes the gates. Now, did you notice he's talking about three different phases of a journey? He mentions gates, a way, and a destination. So there's the gates, that's the beginning, the entrance to the Christian life. The way is the journey, the living of the Christian life. And then the destination, whether it's life or destruction, that's the uh, that's the end. And so look at the way he, begin, he, he talks about the beginning of the Christian life, the way he describes the gate. He says it is narrow. It's narrow. It means it's difficult. It's a harder gate to get through than the wide gate. It's less comfortable. It's more of a challenge. Uh, at the, maybe you're probably familiar with the Menards store in Washington. At the Menards store, when you enter, there's two ways to get into the store. There's a turnstile, you know, with those bars, you know, get all the way through there. Or there's a, a wider gate that sometimes they have open for people with strollers or other things. Now, if both of those options are available to me as I'm walking in the store, I go for the wide gate because it's easier. It's wider. You can, I can go through my whole family. I can, I can take a whatever. You know, I, can, I can push a stroller through. I can do whatever I need to. The narrow gate is harder because it's narrower. It's more constricting. You got to go one, one at a time. You got to push a little turnstile. And that's the point here, as the contrast between a narrow gate and a wide gate is a wide gate is easy to go through, but a narrow gate is hard. And Jesus says the entrance to the Christian life is not a wide gate. It's a narrow gate. It's not easy to enter, it's hard. Now things can be hard in lots of ways, so we need to say, what exactly, how is it hard, in what way is it hard? And if we remember what Jesus has taught us throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we can come up with a couple reasons why it's hard to become a Christian. Uh, The first one is that it's hard to become a Christian because you have to actually admit that you are a sinner if you want to become a Christian. And it is hard to admit that you are a sinner. It's easy for me to admit that you're a sinner. It's hard to admit that I'm a sinner. It's hard to admit that you're a sinner. In Matthew 5, 3, the first verse of the Sermon on the Mount, when he opens his mouth and begins to teach, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So who gets in? Who gets the kingdom of heaven? Before he says anything else, Jesus says, I want you to get this. The ones who are in are the ones who are poor in spirit. The people who have nothing to offer, the ones who realize that spiritually speaking, They are poor. As we come to God, we have nothing to offer Him. All of our supposed good works are worthless. All of our best intentions count for nothing. All that we're bringing to God as we come to Him are our sins, our failures. We've got this huge record of debt. We're poor. And Jesus says, that's the person who gets in the kingdom. The person who first comes to God admitting their spiritual poverty. The one who admits that I am a sinner, that I have nothing to offer, that I deserve punishment. 
And I need God to save me. And the great news is, Jesus says, if, if you do this, then God forgives your sins. So in a sense, that's easy. All you have to do is humble yourself. But boy, is that hard to humble yourself. If you confess your sins, if you admit your sins, then God forgives you. But you have to admit your sins. You have to confess your sins. It's easier by far to say, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't done that much that's bad. I'm good enough that God should accept me. But that's the wide gate that leads to destruction. The narrow gate that leads to life, it it starts with a death. It starts with a death to yourself. You die to your pride and you admit your sin and you say, I have nothing. Please, please save me. That is hard to do. That's why it's a narrow gate. Not everybody wants to do that. It's hard to admit your sins. But if we're really listening to what Jesus says, that's not the only thing he teaches that's hard. It's actually even harder than that to enter the narrow gate. And this is where we really have to be honest, extraordinarily honest, and and, and look at ourselves with a little bit of critique. Because sometimes um, we get so excited about getting people into the kingdom that we make becoming a Christian easier than Jesus makes it. Sometimes all we talk about is you need to admit your sin and then you're forgiven and everything's fine. Then you're a Christian. That's only gotten you halfway through the turnstile. It's, it's stuck. Now you, you, you can't go forward, you can't go back. That, that, you're not in the gate yet. You're halfway in. Because Jesus says there's more to it than that. You have to admit that you're a sinner. But you also have to submit your whole life to the Lordship of Jesus. You have to submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus. And that too is hard. If you just look a few verses back in chapter, or farther on in chapter 7, we haven't gotten to them yet, but in chapter 7, verse 21, as Jesus continues to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount, in seven twenty-one, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So becoming a Christian is more than just saying, Lord, Lord. It's living, Lord, Lord. It's not just saying, you are my Lord. Yeah, I, I said something once. I said a prayer one time. I admitted my sins one time and I got forgiven, therefore I'm in the kingdom. No, that's part of it. But to become a Christian, you have to admit your sins and you have to submit your life to Jesus Christ. Now, don't misunderstand this. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you admit your sins, get forgiven, and then work really hard, and if you're good enough, eventually God will accept you. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there's a very common misconception, and it's partly our fault for perpetrating this. But there's a very common misunderstanding that some people call fire insurance Christianity. Right? Where you, you, you pray a prayer one time, you, you admit your sins, because someone said if you do that, then you're going to go to heaven, you won't go to hell, so you got your fire insurance. And since you've done that, you, get, you, you got your insurance, you go tuck that in a little shell, you know, in a drawer somewhere, you go live your life, doesn't matter how you live, you keep living for yourself, but I prayed this prayer this one time. I admitted my sins this one time. 
So I'm forgiven, right? Because that's what the Bible says. But it's more involved than that. Jesus doesn't want you to say, Lord, Lord. He wants to be your Lord, Lord. So to become a Christian, you receive Jesus as Savior and as Lord. You have to humble yourself and admit your sin, but more than that, you need to completely surrender your life to Jesus. You've got to have a time where you say, I am no longer in charge of my life. You know, I know I won't obey God perfectly, but I, I want to. I want to. I want to be his slave. And so you offer to God, and you say, just take my life, take my money, take my relationships, take my career, my dreams, my family, everything, every square inch of my life. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of that. And until you've done that, you haven't entered the narrow gates. You haven't become a Christian. And historically, that's why the main symbol for becoming a Christian is baptism with water. Because that's what you're doing, that's what you're symbolizing when you're getting baptized, is that you're saying, you know, my sins have been washed away, I've, been, I've admitted my sins, I've asked for forgiveness, my sins are washed away, but there's also this symbolism of you dying and rising from the dead, that there's an old you that where you were in charge of your life, and now there's the new you where, in a sense, you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. You've submitted to him, you're not the Lord of your life anymore. That's why we do that. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. And until you've done both of those things, you haven't entered the gate. And Jesus is being honest. He says it's a narrow gate. But even more than that, he says not just is it difficult to become a Christian, but the Christian life itself is restricting. The Christian life is restricting. And just hold on to this thought. In, in a very real sense, the Christian life is freeing and liberating and joy-filled and wonderful. We'll get to that. But also, in a very real sense, it is restricting. We saw that the gate was narrow. What does Jesus say about the way, the journey? It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. As we get into this, I have to say, this is one of the few times I don't like the way the ESV is translated, <laughs> these verses. Um, I'll explain why that is. You know, they, they say here that the way is easy, that leads to destruction, and the way is hard, that leads to life. And th that's certainly true. That's not wrong. So it's a, it's a valid translation of the big picture sense. But more literally, and all the other translations bring this out, more literally the words are that the way is uh, broad or wide that leads to destruction, and the way is narrow that leads to life. So again, Jesus is using the same concept. The way is broad or wide that leads to destruction, and it's narrow that leads to life. And actually, the word here that's used to describe the narrow way is a different word than the word that describes the narrow gate. This kind of narrow actually has the sense of being uh, restricted, of being, being made narrow by being pressed on. So like a grape gets made narrow when you step on it. It's that sense of narrow. Or like in Star Wars, you know, when the guys are in the, the trash compactor and the walls are closing in and the more and more the walls close in, the more restricted they are and they can't move. 
It's that sense of narrow. It's a narrow of being restricted, of being pressed in. And Jesus says, this describes the way which you have to walk as a Christian. It is a restricted way. The way that leads to destruction is wide open. But the way that leads to life is restricting. We just got to be honest about that. The Christian life is restricting. When you're on the wide open way to destruction, you have lots of freedom. You can do whatever you want. You can spend your money however you want. You can drink whatever you want as much as you want. You can sleep with whoever you want. You can say whatever you want. You can think whatever you want. You have no restrictions on the wide open way. But when you're a Christian, you have none of that. You have none of that freedom. Because you submitted your life to Jesus as Lord. He gets complete control over every area of your life. There's not a single square inch of your life where you can say, this is mine. No, it's all his. He has claims over every aspect of your life. You know this. You've been here. You've read the Sermon on the Mount. You remember the part where Jesus talks about lust? And he says, it's ro- you thought it was wrong to commit adultery. Well, it is. But, but, but I say to you, Jesus says, it's wrong to even look at a woman lustfully. See what he's doing there? He's restricting your imagination. He said, you can't even think about this. I want to control your thought life. Not just your actions, but every single part of you. He cares about your words that you say. Remember, he says we're not, we're not allowed to call people idiots. He said, you thought it was bad to kill people? Well, it is, but you shouldn't even call people idiots. We're supposed to, to keep our word. He cares about the promises that we make. When we say yes or when we say no, he cares that we follow through with our intentions. He cares about everything. The entire Christian life is one of restriction. There's no area of life that's out of bounds. When you sign up to be a Christian, you sign up to be restricted by God. That's why so often in the New Testament we are called the slaves of Christ. When you become a Christian, you are signing up to miss out on some experiences that other people will have. You're going to miss out. There's going to be certain shows that you aren't going to be able to watch. There are going to be certain hobbies that you won't be able to pursue. There'll be certain desires that you can't indulge. There will probably be dreams that you have to let go of because you're not your own. The life of a Christian is not an easy one. It's a restricted life. It's bounded by absolute obedience to Jesus. And we have to say that because if you are not willing to do that, then you should not be a Christian. That's what it means. This is why Jesus is honest at the end. He's saying, I've laid out for you what it means to be a Christian. If you're not willing to admit your, admit your sin and humble yourself to the Lordship of Jesus, just it's not the way for you. It's open to you. But you've got to be willing to submit yourself to Jesus. The way is narrow. Now, it may seem like I'm painting too bleak of a picture. I'm really, I'm just trying to explain what Jesus said here. But it has been pretty bleak up to this point. It's not all bleak. You, you have me thinking, well, if that's what it is to be a Christian, why would anyone want to be a Christian? You certainly make the wide way sound better. Well, the reason we want to be a Christian is because of the destination. It's a narrow gate to become a Christian. It's a narrow way to live as a Christian, but the destination is amazing. 
Being a Christian is the only way that leads to life. That's the third thing we have to see. Being a Christian is the only way that leads to life. There's two gates, there's two ways, there's two destinations. The whole point of this little picture that Jesus is painting for us is to say, don't be fooled by the difficulty of the journey. Decide which destination you want and pick your route based on that. He says there's two destinations. There's destruction and there's life. Now, obviously, he's talking about eternal destinations. Everyone will end up in one of two places. You will either end up with God in heaven or you'll end up without God in hell. This, too, is hard to talk about, but we have to be honest. Life is a journey. It's a journey that we like to pretend will last forever, that this life is all that there is, And, you know, if that were true, it would make sense to pick the easiest road. If the journey were all there is, we should just pick the easiest road. We should, why would you take a tough and narrow road if if you're going to be on that road forever and it doesn't lead to anything good? Take the easy road. Take the wide road. If life is all there is, then the sacrifice Christianity demands makes no sense. But Jesus reminds us that the life is a journey, and the journey is relatively brief. And there's a destination. Sooner, rather than later, we will all die. And when we do, we will end up in one of two places, either heaven or hell. You know, here's here's the kicker. You can know right now which one you are headed for. This is not like those reality TV shows where they have the, the competition night, And then the results night. You know, the competition night and everybody votes and then there's the results night and they drag out the revealing of results which should take about 30 seconds into like an hour because they have people up there and they say, now, and the loser is not you. And and they they just keep, you know, and and everything's in suspense and you're watching and you're in suspense like, which is it going to be? Who's going to advance? Who's not going to advance? And you're on the edge of your seat because you just don't know until they tell you. But this is not like that. There is no suspense. There is no mystery. If you want to know which destination you will arrive at, all you have to do is look at your feet. Which road are you on? Which road are you on? They don't crisscross. If you're on the straight and narrow road, you will end up in life, eternal life. If you are on the wide and narrow road and you do not repent you will end up in hell. There is no mystery. There is no suspense. Jesus says, there's two destinations. There's two paths. Just look at your feet. Life is a journey. Everyone's on one of two paths. Why would you want to be on the hard and narrow path? Because it's the one that leads to life. Eternal life, yes, but also abundant life. So we're going to come back now. I told you, remember, the Christian life is freeing and life-giving and joyful. The Christian life is restricting. That is true. Jesus tells us what we are supposed to do, and we're supposed to submit to that. But, as Angela's saying today, remember this, the beautiful offertory? His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. All that garbage that we want to do when we have the freedom of the wide and open road, 
all that garbage you want to do is destructive. It leads ultimately to destruction, but also in this life now, it breeds destruction in our own lives and in the lives of others. When Jesus is telling us over and over again, here's how you're supposed to live, here's what you're supposed to do, he's not just willy-nilly restricting us. He's saying, this is a bad thing. Don't do that. Follow me and you will live. The restrictions of the Sermon on the Mount are good. You know, it is good and life-giving for you here and now not to be an angry person. And Jesus says, don't be angry. It's good for you and for society not to lust. It's good for marriage to be honored. It's good for promises to be kept. It's good for enemies to be loved. It's good when religion isn't merely outward hypocrisy, but is genuine. It's good when you don't love money, but trust Jesus. All these restrictions, there are many restrictions, but they are for our good. That's why Jesus says, Come to me, you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's still a yoke. It's still a yoke. You're still burdened, but it's a good burden. It leads to life, eternal life, and now abundant life. So we should want to walk the narrow path. We should want to enter by the narrow gate because it has, it's the only way to the good destination. And we can stop there, but we need to continue being honest because in these verses we still have a final warning from Jesus that we have to take seriously. He's told us that it's difficult to become a Christian. It's a narrow gate. He said it's difficult to live as a Christian. It's a restricting way. That it's the path to life, but... He says, few people are actually Christians. There's two gates, there's two ways, there's two destinations, and there's two groups of people. And the distinction, the only distinction between these two groups of people is this. The group that takes the wide and easy way is large, and the group that takes the narrow way that leads to life is small. You see that, right, in these verses? Those The way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. In verse 14, the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. Few people actually take the narrow path. Let's just stop for a moment and recognize that's how it always is. That's how it always is. There are many things that fall in that same pattern as the Christian life. Anything that's hard, anything that's worth doing, few people do it. I was reminded of that, uh, speaking of reality television shows, watching American Ninja Warrior. I enjoy that show. I don't know if you maybe haven't seen it, but it's an extreme obstacle course show. Uh, really have to have a lot of upper body strength and balance and agility, and these guys do all these crazy, and women do amazing obstacles, and it's very impressive. Uh, so anyway, I like to watch it, and when I do, my first reaction is always, I could do that. I could do that. Yeah, maybe, you don't. maybe I'm a little more proud than you, probably. I could totally do that. And then I think, I should do that. And I think, I should make a sandwich. And just sit there and watch some more. That's more realistic. That's good. Because narrow is the gate, 
that leads to a ninja warrior stardom. Restricting is the way. I mean, these guys, I, there was a guy I interviewed just this last week who literally only works these dead-end jobs because he wants to be able to quit at any time and go practice and go train. And he's devoted his life to American Ninja Warrior. And this is the pattern, right? Anything that's hard, few people do it because it takes a lot. It does demand a lot of you. Many can admire it. Many can wish that they do it, but few people actually follow through. You forget the whole Ninja Warrior thing, but even just being physically fit follows this pattern. Everybody knows I should be physically fit. I should do this. Everybody wants it to a certain extent, but only a few achieve it because it's hard. Or playing a musical instrument with any amount of skill. Everybody admires it. A lot of people love to do it, but it takes a lot of work, and so few actually do it. I think it's a general principle that we can all accept that anything that's really worth doing, there's two things that will be true. It will be hard, and few people will do it. And Christianity is not the exception. True, genuine Christianity is hard. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to commit your whole life to Jesus. It's hard. And because it's hard, most people won't do it. So Jesus ends with this call to self-examination. You may like the narrow road, you may admire it. You may say, yes, I can do that. I would like to do that. But have you done it? Are you doing it? It's not enough just to call yourself a Christian. Jesus says there's lots of people who call themselves Christians. Remember verse 21? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easy to call yourself a Christian, especially in a time and place when it's easy to be a Christian and lots of people are Christians. But calling yourself a Christian doesn't mean you're on the narrow way. There are plenty of people throughout history who've deceived themselves, who thought they were on the narrow way, but never genuinely submitted to Jesus, never gave him their whole life. And that should sober us. It sobers me. It does. What do we do in the face of such a warning? Jesus tells us at the beginning of verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. Take it seriously. Take Jesus seriously. It's hard to become a Christian. You've got to admit your sin. You've got to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. It's hard to walk with him for a lifetime. But this is the path that leads to life. So don't miss it. Don't be on the sidelines admiring it. Enter. Be one of the few who find it. Do what Jesus says. Enter by the narrow gate. Admit your sins. Surrender your life. And it will lead to life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you challenge me. And you challenge us all to soberly reflect on the truth of what's happened in our hearts, that we would not be hypocrites, that we would not miss out. I sincerely pray with all my heart for every single one of us here today that none of us would be those who say, Lord, Lord, and you say, depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, Father, what a tragedy. 
what a tragedy to know the narrow way, to admire the narrow way, to almost live as if you were on the narrow way, but to end up in destruction. I would take this truth to apply it to our hearts the way that we need it. And we pray for our friends and relatives and co-workers and neighbors that we know are on the wide path that leads to destruction. May you open their eyes to the path that leads to life. In Jesus' name, amen.